18. Oh, now it is. Now it is. Boys, find a spot to sit and it can't be there. We'll get it afterwards. I appreciate you wanting to clean up your mess, but we don't have time for vacuuming tonight, right this moment. So, tonight we're talking about dating and friendship. Did you know that the term dating is a newish term? In 1896, the columnist George Ade, he wrote in, in a column, he told the story of a clerk named Artie whose girlfriend's head was getting turned by other men. When Artie confronted her, he said, I suppose the other boys fill in all my dates, alluding to the dates in his girlfriend's diary that may have been filled by plans with other guys. Once upon a time, you didn't date to find someone that you had an amazing connection with. You courted to find someone respectable who wouldn't pour your inheritance down the drain. Uh, according to the author of The Curious History of Dating, up until 1870, women couldn't keep property or money or goods they inherited upon marriage. And so this law was until the law was passed that changed this, they basically, you married so that you didn't spend your whole family's fortune. Did you know that in Bible times, they didn't talk about dating? They were arranged. So your, a girl's family would go to a guy's family and they would say, hey, I'll pay you to take my daughter in. So she really didn't get a choice. And he really didn't get a choice either. And the history continues that, that says that um, there were chaperones. So let's say back in the day you liked or your family had arranged for you to go visit another family. Someone sat with you in the kitchen. You weren't left alone. Here, I thought that was just a modern time thing. But this all changed when World War I happened because women started working in factories to help with the war. And because of that, they started traveling by themselves, which you're like, we travel by ourselves now. But back then, that was a big deal. So the dating pool got larger and larger and the amount of people that you could meet became more and more. Then there was this invention of the World Wide Web, and that changed dating forever. The pool got even bigger, and you could meet people online, and the terms that you guys used when you date changed. So I Googled some. Ghosting. Do we know? Raise your hand if you know what ghosting is. All right, so I don't even need to tell you. How about this one? Zombieing. Zombieing is when the person who ghosted you as a teen makes an appearance in your life again. It's like they've come back from the dead. So they ghosted you and now they're back. Slow fade. Do you know what that is? Slow fade is when a slow fade happens, your teen's love interest gradually fades away by making less and less effort to connect. I found this on Very Well Family for Parents because they don't know what these things mean. And I didn't know some of them. Cuffing. The goal is to have a boyfriend or girlfriend over the holidays or Valentine's Day. Any of you do that this year? Since last week? Okay. Uh, curving. When teens use the term curving, they're talking about rejecting someone's romantic interest in them. We obviously know DTR, define the relationship. How about deep liking? Do you guys know that one? 
Deep liking is a way for your teen and others to show that they like someone by scrolling through old social media posts and liking them. Look at her. She's like, oh, yeah. Um, I have two more. Bread crumbing. Do you know that? Have you heard that one? Breadcrumbing occurs when someone a teen's been dating or talking to suddenly stops agreeing to meet them in person. However, they contact you via, via text, direct message, or social media. And then my friend Eric taught me a new one. I got the ick. Do you know that one? Okay, so that I got the ick means, okay, I really like you. And then all of a sudden, they do something you're like, Ick, I don't think I like you anymore. Okay? So, where's my picture? This is sixth grade Amanda. That's my nephew. I'm in sixth grade, and at this age, I really like this boy named Nate Erickson. I mean, we dated, but what does that really mean? It meant that we chatted on the phone and there was no cell phone. Like there was a cord with a phone and I could only go so far away from my family as we talked. Um, and if you were on the phone, no one else could call because you didn't have call waiting. I, it meant dating him that, I, that he was cute. I couldn't find a picture of him. It meant that our group of friends hung out together. And then it meant that we sat by each other in a movie. So the interesting thing about this idea of dating in the Bible is that in the Bible, there's not this black and white rule of how to date. The Bible gives guidance on sexual relationships, how to be a godly man or woman, how to be a good friend, but there's no line in there that says, thou shalt not kiss on the first date. There's none of that. So what are we to do? The things we're going to discuss today about dating and friendships and boundaries are going to fall under godly wisdom versus mandates for you. We're going to talk about two perspectives on dating, which we think will lead you to have a healthy relationship. These are coming from the curriculum that we've been using through this series. So the first one, dating for marriage. This perspective says that all dating should have the goal of marriage in mind. And not that you're talking about, like, will you marry me on the first date? Because that'd be creepy. But it's the idea that if you don't like this person now and you don't see you marrying them, you probably shouldn't be dating them. Dating them can just be for fun, but that fun could actually lead to both of you being hurt or doing things that you regret later. Dating for marriage viewpoint can lead the relationship to be very serious very fast because the goal is marriage. That's big. The other dating perspective is dating for maturity. In this case, marriage might be your goal long term, but it recognizes that dating can be a wonderful experience now where we learn about ourselves and we learn about other people. So we could learn from ourselves what we like, what we don't like, and it can help us to understand what we're looking for in the future for a spouse and how to grow a, relation, a good friendship. Dating for maturity allows us to see ourselves and say, oh my, I'm not very patient. Actually, I'm not a very good listener. But it can also help us to see positive things about ourselves. 
Maybe we say, actually, I'm really caring. And I would make a good, I love to help people. I would make a good partner someday to, because I'm caring and I'm willing to compromise. Some adults in your life are going to say that you need to stick to one or the other. And they're going to say, this one's wrong, this one's right. And I'm saying, don't do that. I would encourage you to be somewhere in the middle because I think both perspectives have a little, they have good things to offer. The most important thing is not how you go about dating, but the kind of person you're becoming if you decide to date. Spoiler alert, I didn't marry Nate Erickson, but I did go on a variety of dates with a variety of guys from a variety of backgrounds. And each of them helped me to learn about myself and what I wanted in my future spouse. Each person I did date or even hung out with that I like might have interest in played a role in the person I became today. So if you date, dating can be this awesome thing that helps you grow. But when we talk about dating, whether dating to marry or dating for maturity, we have to talk about boundaries. Each approach can be good when we engage with them properly. Too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. It's a cliche for a reason, right? It has wisdom. When I go to the beach, the sand, the views, the waves, all of it is awesome and beautiful and good. But if I go home and have that same thing in my living room, now I got a problem. It's beautiful because it has boundaries. Before we talk about how to set them, we should talk about what they are and the purpose behind them. Boundaries is this idea of setting guidelines for how we will engage with other people, especially in a dating relationship. How are we going to interact? Boundaries help nurture healthy relationships. And healthy relationships are when our commitment and our connection match. Our, our connection level doesn't uh, go above where our commitment level is. And boundaries are kind of like speed limit signs. They guide the direction you want your heart to go, but they only work if you follow them. If we drive around like madmen, we are still at risk of getting in an accident. And here's the thing about boundaries. Boundaries are hard. It's hard to say no to things. And I'm going to be honest, following Jesus is hard sometimes. Sexual integrity is this idea of I, I'm bringing my whole self to God. I'm denying myself what I want, and I'm trusting that God knows more about what a flourishing life looks like than I do. It's not running away from the fact that we are sexual beings, that I have urges, that when I'm alone with my significant other, I may want to be with them, like be with them, be with them. It is bringing, my God, it, bringing myself to God in those moments and saying, I want to be obedient to you. How would you like me to do this? How do you want me to proceed? I'm choosing to love God above everything else, above my body, above the person that I'm dating. It's saying, God, you are supreme in my life. As I am pursuing a connection with another person, I'm also pursuing a connection with God. 
So boundaries help us have healthy connections. But how do we set them in the context of relationship? First, each romantic relationship has different parts to it. There's a physical side. There's an emotional side, a social, a spiritual side. It's like uh, the pieces to a pie. They all make up a whole, right? And the thing with those, these pieces, they're all connected. What I mean by that is if one area increases, the rest are going to want to follow. So if I have a really deep emotional connection with someone, my physical connection will want to follow that. So we need to have boundaries for each of these areas. When we talk about physical boundaries, often the first question is, okay, but like how far can I go? What is okay? What's wrong? Where's the line? When does it become sin? Can I make out? Can my hands wander? Can we take clothes off? Where is the line when it becomes sin? And I, I think that's the wrong perspective to have. When we ask that question, it's like we're coming to this line and like, okay, how, how close can I get before it becomes sin? But friends, Jesus is that way. Our perspective should be trying to get closer to him and be in relationship with him. So instead of asking, where's the line? How, what, what, what is okay? What's not okay? Maybe we start asking, is this bringing glory to God? Would God be proud of this interaction? And to know that, we need to know God. We need to spend time with him in relationship. Emotional boundaries. They involve the separating your feelings from other people. Uh, it, it involves protecting yourself from the lows and the highs of dating. When we talk about having the same connection as our commitment, we shouldn't let our emotional connection run out of control. So maybe we are careful who we say, I love you to. Maybe we're careful about how much we share with another person. Maybe we don't let them become the only one we turn to for emotional health or well-being. They aren't the only one I would turn to when I'm sad or hurt or happy or excited. They don't become an emotional crutch. This idea that they are the only person I rely on and not God or others for help. Now, I'm not saying that we don't share things with them or that we don't let them care for us but that we keep a healthy boundary there. Social boundaries. They determine how, where, and when we spend time with others and by yourself. I think the most important boundary you could set in the context of a dating relationship would not to, to be not to isolate yourselves. So spend time in groups. Spend time with others. And if you do happen to spend time at each other's houses, be in a public place. Stay in the living room in a place where anyone could walk in and see you at any time. Spiritual boundaries are how you spend time praying, reading the Bible, or growing in your faith as a couple versus individually. Your relationship with God is personal. It can be really cool to engage in all of those things with other people. We want to include others in our faith. But how are you keeping your relationship with, your God, with God personal and not tangling it in with another person? A helpful question to ask 
Is my romantic relationship helping or hindering my personal relationship with God? So boundaries are helpful when we talk about dating, but they're also helpful when we talk about our other relationships, including friendships. There are are a lot of overlap between dating and friendships, and actually, we need to have good friendships to have good dating relationships. We are designed to be in community. It's why we have small groups here, right? Because we know we need other people in our lives. We need to have good, Jesus-centered friendships. And honestly, friendship is more important than dating. We would be better off investing our emotional, relational energies into friendships rather than dating. And if out of those friendships comes a romantic relationship, great. But priority should be on Jesus-centered friendships. And here's the thing with friendships. We have to let others in. Now, this is stereotypically a guy problem, but I've seen it with girls too, where we like to keep people at an arm's length. We don't want to go deep in our relationships and share personal things with each other. I went golfing with a good friend of mine once, and, and we spent hours together. I get home, and my wife asks, oh, how's he doing? How's his girlfriend? How's life? Anything new? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. We didn't talk about any of that. She's like, what? You spent hours with him. How could you not talk about personal, real things? And I'm like, I, we were golfing. Like, what do you want me to do? Later, she comes to me, and she shows me this meme like, about this situation, and it's almost like word for word what we were saying to each other. And she's like, I thought this was a joke, but I guess it's real life. Like, she just was baffled by this. Friendship is more than just hanging out and having fun with someone. It's good, but we need to let others in. We need to go deeper than that. We need to share how we are feeling, to share what we are thinking, so that they can support us and they can care for us. The key to healthy friendships, friendships is that they're meaningful. So in middle school, I had two groups of friends. The first group, I would say, um, were older than me because I worked at a restaurant. They led me to peer pressure and not making good choices. I, because of my time with them, I would say I compromised my priorities of school or family to hang out with this group of friends. I will tell you that after 30 years, if I ran into one of them, I literally would be like, and maybe not even wave. Like, I have no connection with them at all. And my mom used to say this thing, and I can't even believe I'm going to say she's right right now, okay? She used to say, you are who you hang out with, Amanda. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I am my own person. I am not who because she would hear things about this group of friends. And I'm like, no, I'm not like that. When in reality, I was totally them. Their sassiness, their choices, their attitudes definitely influenced who I was. And then I have this second group of friends. This is a group of girls that I met in seventh grade. Do you have a picture? Maybe? Okay. Um, They were kind to me. They were truthful with me. They were accepting of me. Literally, I met those two walking down the road because Jenny lived a half a block with for me. And this is like one of the first times we hung out. I don't even know why we took the picture. It's kind of awkward, but whatever. These friends cared about me. 
They helped to steer me in a positive direction. As time went on, none of us at the time were believers of Jesus at all, but as time went on, they shared their faith with me. I asked all the questions about God, about life, and they were never annoyed with me. They were honest with me. They were faithful to me. These are the friends that I would seriously call my ride or die. There's nothing I could say to them even today that they would be like, Amanda, I can't believe it. Peace out. We can't be friends. So, do you have another picture? This is us literally this year. We have literally walked through weddings, kids. We have so many kids. I counted between all the ladies there. We have like 22 kids under the age of 13. Like, we have so many kids. Deaths of parents and friends. Divorces, broken families. You name the things, I have walked with these ladies with it. Tomorrow night, I'm going to a conference, and then I'm going to go to dinner with one of them, and then I'm going to stay overnight at Jenny, the tall one in the back, and have a slumber party like we were, like we're in seventh grade again. So my question for you is, are your friends making you a better person? Are they helping you to become more like Christ? Are they causing you to do things that are against your values? Who are you becoming when you were around them? What piece of advice I would offer my 11-year-old or 16-year-old self is this. If I could go back, I would tell myself this piece. Pursue healthy friendships. Put your relational energy into solid female friends instead of waiting for some guy to sweep you off your feet. Guys, don't waste your time on friends who bring you down. Find meaningful friends who appreciate who you are for who you are. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, has this quote. She says, I taught my kids when they were in elementary school to do this. I asked them to cup their hands and put them in front of them. And I said, in your hand is your flame. It's your soul. It's your light. You need to surround yourself with friends who, when your light is shining bright, don't feel the need to blow it out. So I literally, humor me, guys. Come on, do it. If you are hanging out with someone who's trying to blow out your flame, distance yourself. But I would also say, don't be the person who tries to blow out someone else's flame. And if that's my son, you shouldn't be friends with him. I saw that. <laughs> he goes Busted. like this. And I'm like, hey, don't be friends with him if he's going to blow out your flame. Be the person who helps others to appreciate who they are and who God created them to be. Seek out relationships with others that help you become more like Jesus. We're going to take, take two? Take two. Take two. So we have a question. Remember, no phones, no talking. You're going to think about that, and then Matthew is going to dismiss you because I need water. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I turned off my mic. Heavenly Father, thank you for friendships. Thank you for relationships. Lord, help us to be honoring whether we're dating, we're single, or we're just us. Help us to find people who appreciate who we are and what we have to offer this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
headed to small groups. If you would like to come back and play a game, you can come back at 7.35 or you can stay in your small groups for the rest of the night.
Yes. I said yes. They're going to trip us. Don't trip me. One of these one of these weeks. Well, one of these weeks you guys are going to trip us. Questions after. Well, if you trip me, just saying, just saying. Look at he's like, oh no. <laughs> you're right, you're right. I probably did the last one, but you're here, so that makes me. All right. Is everyone settled in? All right, let's do this. So, tonight we're talking about the history of dating and friendships. Did you know that the term dating was first used in 1896 when a columnist told the story of a clerk named Artie whose girlfriend's head was getting turned by other men. When Artie confronted her, he said, I suppose other boys are filling all my dates alluding to the dates in his girlfriend's diary that may have been filled by plans of other guys. Once upon a time, Colton, your parents said that you couldn't tell why Valentine's happened, so you better be paying attention. Okay, okay. Once upon a time, you didn't date to find someone you had an amazing connection with. You courted to find someone respectable who wouldn't pour your inheritance down the drain. Because women, up until 1870, couldn't own property, money, or goods upon marriage. They couldn't inherit their family's things. So in the Bible, it doesn't actually talk specifically about dating. But it says that um, families were arranged. And so a woman's family would go to a man's family and say, can I pay you to take my daughter? And I feel sad about that for them, but that's, they didn't get a choice. This article continues in the history of dating that even when marriages were arranged, they arranged for chaperones. I thought that was interesting. I was like, I thought that was just a, a thing that we made up today, but they used chaperones. So you would sit um, in a parlor and you would have a family member with you um, because... They didn't trust you to be alone. But World War I changed it all because women started working in factories, which means they started traveling by themselves, and so they started to meet more people. The dating pool got larger and larger as women and people had more choices of traveling. And then the intervention, invention of the World Wide Web changed dating forever. Because there were no boundaries. Literally, you could meet someone across um, the world and be in a relationship with them. Which led to this terms of dating that I found for parents on Very Well Family. We all know what ghosting is, right? Okay. But do you know these? Do you know what zombieing is? 
Okay, let me tell you. Zombieing occurs when the person who ghosted you suddenly makes an appearance in your life again. It's like they came back from the dead. Okay? Slow fade. Do you know it? Slow fade is, happens when your love interest gradually fades away by making less and less effort to connect. Cuffing? I want to know how many people cuffed in the last week. The goal is to have a boyfriend or girlfriend over the holidays or on Valentine's Day. <laughs> any of you do that? Okay. Uh, curving. When teens use the term curving, they're talking about rejecting someone's romantic interest. And then there's DTR, which we all know. How about deep liking? No. Deep liking is a way for your teen or others to show that they like someone by scrolling through old social media accounts. Can I get a definition on DTR? Define the relationship. Nobody knows that, man. That was your generation? Oh, I thought, okay, I'm old. How about benching or crumb? Breadcrumbing. It occurs when someone has, a, has been dating or talking and they suddenly stop agreeing to meet the person. However, they still contact you through text, direct message, and social media. And then I learned a new one that I think all the middle schoolers knew, but I didn't. I learned it from Eric. I got the ick. So you know it? Okay, well, I got the ick means you hang out, you like the person, and then they do something, and you're like, ick. And you no longer are interested because you got the ick. So, where's my picture? This is sixth grade Amanda. I dated, I was in sixth grade. That's my nephew, who's now 30. That makes you feel me real old. Um, but I dated Nate Erickson. And in sixth grade, what does that really mean? But this is what it meant for me. It meant we chatted on the phone. And when I say phone, it was like this cord attached to a wall. And I tried to get away from my family because there weren't cell phones or like cordless phones. It meant that I thought he was cute. It meant that our group of friends hung out together. It means, that, or it meant that we sat together at a movie. The interesting thing about this idea of dating in the Bible is there's no black and white rules about how to date. The Bible gives guidance on sexual relationships, how to be a godly man or woman. It also tells us how to be good friends. But there are no lines in the Bible that say, thou shall not kiss on the first date. The things we're going to discuss today about dating and friendships and boundaries fall under this umbrella of godly wisdom versus mandates. So there's two perspectives on dating that we think um, will help you have a healthy relationship. These came from the curriculum we've been using through this series. The first one is dating for marriage. This per perspective says that dating should, the goal is marriage. It's not that you're asking them to marry you on the first date because that would be creepy. But it's this idea that if you don't like what this person does or who that person is, you probably shouldn't date them because you wouldn't marry them. Dating them just for fun could actually lead to both of you being hurt or doing things that you might regret later. 
Dating for marriage also brings the relationship super deep really, really fast because the goal is like marriage. The other perspective is dating for maturity. In this perspective, marriage not, might not be your goal for the relationship, but it recognizes that dating can be a wonderful experience where we learn about ourselves and others. Through this perspective, we learn about others, what we like, what we don't like, what we helps us to understand what we're looking for in a future spouse. It also helps us to know how to grow a relationship in a healthy way. It allows us to look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm not very patient. I don't really have, I might need to work on my comp being able to compromise. At the same time, it can also show us positive things about ourselves. I'm a really good listener. Or um, I like to do acts of service, so someday I, will, I would love to cook, which is not my gift, so that's not me, but that could be yours. So you are learning about things in your life that would help you become more mature in future relationships. Adults in your life are going to say, pick one or the other. And I'm saying, can we take a little bit of both and be in the middle? The most important thing is not how you go about dating, but the kind of person you are becoming if you date. Spoiler alert, I didn't marry Nate Erickson in sixth, from sixth grade. But I did go on a variety of dates, and I had long relationships, and I had short relationships. But I learned a lot about myself, and I also learned what I was looking for in a spouse. Each person that I did date, or even hung out with if I liked them, helped me like figure out who I was and the person helped me become the person I was today. So if we date, it can be this awesome thing that helps us grow. But when we talk about dating, whether it's dating to marry or dating for maturity, we should talk about boundaries. Each approach of dating can be good when we engage with it properly. Too much of a good thing can be bad though. It's a cliche for a reason, right? It's got wisdom. When I go to the beach, uh, the waves, the sand, it's all beautiful and awesome and amazing. But if I go home and have that same thing in my living room, now I got a problem. It's beautiful because it has boundaries. And before we talk about how to set boundaries, we should talk about what they are and the purpose behind them. Boundaries are this idea of setting guidelines for how we will engage with other people, especially in a dating relationship. How are we going to interact? Boundaries help nurture healthy relationships. And a healthy relationship is when our commitment level matches our connection, that we don't have a deeper connection than we have commitment. Boundaries are kind of like speed limit signs. They help guide our hearts the direction we want them to go. They help set guidelines for how we interact, but they only work if we follow them. If we drive around like a madman, we are still at risk of getting in an accident. And here's the thing about boundaries. Boundaries are hard. It's not fun to say no to things. I'm going to be honest with you for a second. It's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. Sexual integrity is this idea of bringing our whole selves to God, denying ourselves 
and saying, I want to follow you. You know more about what a full, flourishing life looks like than I do. It's not running away from the fact that we are sexual beings, that I have urges, that when I'm with my girlfriend or boyfriend, that I want to be with them, like be with them. But in those moments, it's coming to God and saying, I want to be obedient to you. How would you like me to do this? How do you want me to go forward? I'm choosing to love God above everything else, above my body, above the person that I'm dating. It's saying, God, you reign supreme in my life. And it's doing that because he is a good God. It's not out of relig religious duty. It's, it's because we trust that God wants to bring life and more life and a full life to us. As I am pursuing connection with this other person, I am also pursuing connection with God. Boundaries help us have healthy connections. So how do we set them in the context of relationships? Well, first, each romantic relationship has different parts to it. There's a physical side, an emotional side, a social side, and a spiritual side. And uh, it's like the, the pieces of a pie, right? They all make up a whole. And each of these pieces are connected. What I mean by that is this. If, if one area increases in connection, the rest want to follow. If I have a deep emotional connection with somebody, my, the physical side of that relationship will want to increase as well. So we need to have boundaries for each of these. When we first, uh, when we talk about physical boundaries, the, the first thing we like to ask is, okay, well, where's the line? What's okay? What's not okay? When does it become sin? Can I make out? Can my hands wander? Can we take clothes off? Where's the line? And I think that's the wrong perspective to have. That perspective is like, okay, how close to the line can I get before I cross over? But, but friends, Jesus is that way. Our perspective should be trying to get closer to him. And so what if instead of asking how close to this line can I get, we ask, is this bringing glory to God? Would God be proud of this interaction? But I know some of you are asking, practically speaking, what would be some good physical boundaries? I think the biggest one is not isolating yourself with your significant other in a way that could lead to something happening. So stay in groups. If you go and spend time at each other's houses, be in a public place. Stay in the living room so that somebody could walk in at any time. Here are a few others I would give. Uh, if it's not a place that you would touch mom or dad, maybe don't touch your significant other there. Uh, stay vertical. There's no need to lay down. Be home by midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. Just say goodnight, go home. I'm glad you guys think that's funny. It's, it's all good. Hey, I'm surprised, like... <laughs> I thought last week was going to be the week that they were going to be squirming. 
I didn't expect that to get you guys that bad. Wow, okay, well. All right, all right. Hey, these, these boundaries, they don't answer everything, but it could be a start. Ultimately, you are going to have to set boundaries for yourself, boundaries that can help guard your heart against sexual temptation. Emotional boundaries. This involves separating your feelings from your partners. It's protecting yourself from the lows and the highs of dating. When we talk about having the, the same connection as our commitment, we shouldn't let our emotional connection run away. So maybe we're careful who we say I love you to. Maybe we're careful of how much I share with my significant other. We don't let them become the only person that we rely on for our emotional well-being and health. They aren't the only one we turn to when we're sad or hurting or happy or excited. They don't become an emotional crutch. This idea that they are the only person I rely on and not God or others for help. I'm not saying that we don't share things with them or that we don't let them care for us, but we keep a healthy boundary. Social boundaries, they determine how, where, and when we spend time with others and by yourself. I have a friend who says beds are for sleeping and sex, and you're not doing either of those, so you shouldn't be on your bed. It's this idea that uh, I'm not going to isolate myself with my significant other. Spiritual boundaries, uh, this idea of how you spend time praying reading the Bible, or growing in your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is, is personal. So how you interact with others should reflect that. Now, we want to include others in our faith. That's a good thing. And it could be really cool, but, but how are you keeping your relationship with God personal and not tangling it with other people? A helpful question is your romantic relationship helping or hindering your relationship with God? Boundaries are helpful when we talk about dating, but boundaries are helpful when we also talk about our other relationships, including friendships. There is a lot of overlap between dating and friendships, and actually, we need to have good friendships to have a good dating relationship. We are designed to be in community. It's why we have small groups here, right? Because we know that we need others in our lives. We need good Jesus-centered friendships. And honestly, friendship is more important than dating. We would be better off investing our relational energies into good friendships. And if out of that a romantic relationship comes, great. But priority should be on Jesus-centered friendships. Here's the thing with friendships. We have to let others in. Now, this is stereotypically a guy problem, but I've seen girls with it too. This, uh, where we want to keep others at arm's length. We want to keep it surface level. We don't want to go deep in our friendships. We don't want to share personal things. I went golfing with a buddy of mine one time, and, and we, we were gone for a couple hours, and, and I come home, and my wife asked me, oh, how's he doing? How's his girlfriend? Anything new in his life? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. She's like, what? You were with him for hours. How could you not talk about it? Talk about anything. And we're like, I, it didn't come up. What do you want me to say? Later, she comes up to me she bring, uh, and shows me this meme of like 
this is like a word for word uh, what our conversation was. I thought this was a joke, but it turns out it's real life, I guess. Like, she just couldn't wrap her head around the fact that we didn't share details with each other. Friendship is more than just hanging out and having fun together. It's good, but it's more than that. We need to let others in to share how we're feeling, to share how, what we're thinking. That way we can let others support us and care for us. The key to healthy friendships is also that they're meaningful. So I had a group of girls in middle school that I would hang out with. And I also worked at a restaurant, so I hung out with people that were way older than me. And that led to a lot of peer pressure and me not making good choices. I didn't have the boundaries to not do what they, didn't, what they wanted me to do. And so sometimes I compromise my priorities to, of school or family to hang out with this group of friends. If I saw any of that crew on the street and saw them, I probably wouldn't, I don't even know if I would wave to them. To be honest, I'd be like, walk the other way. Like, we wouldn't talk. And it's been like 30 years. My mom would always say, and I can't believe I'm, like, literally, I can't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. She would always say, Amanda, you are who you hang out with. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Because she would hear what this crew would do. I'm like, I'm not like them. I'm different. I'm totally different. I'm stronger. I, I am not like them. In reality, she was right. Their sassiness, their choices, their attitudes definitely influenced me. So I had this second group of friends. Do you have a picture? I met Jenny, the one in the back, sitting, she lived a block from me. And I met Jenny, she went to public school, I went to private school, and we started to hang out. They were kind, they were truthful, they were accepting of me. I didn't have to do the things that they were doing or not doing to hang with them. They truly cared for me, and they always steered me in a positive direction. And as time went on, when I met them, I was in seventh grade, but as time went on, we became, they learned about Jesus and they shared their faith with me. And they were the people that I asked all the questions of, literally, noted all the questions, hours and hours of me asking them questions about God and life. They were honest, they were faithful. These friends, I would call them, because it's going to show my age, they were my ride or die friends. There's nothing I would say to them that they, to this day, would be like, you got to go. Like, I can't believe you said that. This picture, this next picture, is us last month. Or actually, it was this summer. These friends are the friends that I literally have a whole book of pictures of that I dug out, if you want to later. We have been through so many weddings. I counted that we have 22 kids under the age of 13. So many babies, so many pregnancies, death of parents and friends, divorces, broken families, you name the things I, we have walked together. Tomorrow, I'm going to the cities for a conference, and then I'm going to go out to dinner with Gina, who's in the red shirt. And then Jenny, I'm going to sleep over at her house, and we're going to have a slumber party like we are, like we're in seventh grade again. Are your friends making you a better person? Are they helping you to become more like Christ? Are they causing you to do the things that are against your values? 
Who are you becoming when you're around them? The piece of advice that I would offer my 11 or 16-year-old self would be pursue healthy friendships. Put, ladies, your relational energy into solid female friends instead of waiting for some guy to sweep you off your feet. Guys, don't waste your time with people who bring you down. Find faithful, meaningful friends who appreciate who you are. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, said this. This is her quote. I taught my kids when they were in elementary school to cup their hands. Do it. Like, I know. I'm lame. Do it. And put them in front of them. And I said, in your hand is your flame. It's your soul. It's your light. You need to surround yourself with friends who, when your light is shining bright, don't feel the need to blow it out. I'm serious. If you have a friend who's like going to blow out your flame because they can't appreciate you for who you are, don't be their friend. Put distance. Why do you want to be around someone who's not going to appreciate you for you? But on the flip side, don't be the friend who blows out your friend's flame. Be the person who encourages them and raises them up to be who they are and who God created them to be. I'm going to kick you off in the front row, boys. Seek out relationships with others that help you to become more like Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do a take two, and then you can go to your groups. Heavenly Father, I thank you for relationships whether we're dating, single, looking for friends, Lord, help us to put you at the priority, but also to help us to grow deep connections with the people around us who accept us and, and foster who we are and encourage us to be the person you've created us to be. Lord, be with us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, you can't talk, and you can't be on your phone. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever
You guys can head to your small groups. Hey, student leadership team, we're going to hang out on Sunday, but if you want to help clean up our wonderful popcorn mess, I'd love to see you after.
Hey. Oh, that's. Can you guys pause for a second? Where did. I see. Where are all the other leaders? I see three. Cool. You guys are in charge. Hey, uh, who talked about small group night out in their small groups? That's actually, okay, pretty good. If you haven't talked about it, you should connect with your leader at some point tonight before you leave. Okay, thanks, bye. Uh, two weeks, March 6th, so not next week, but the week after. <laughs>